Welcome to Murderous Roots, a podcast that explores the family history of notorious killers. I'm Denise, and with me is Zelda. Now, let's get started. Murderous Roots. I'm Denise Gilhart. And I'm Zelda. And boy, we have a great show for you today. Um, we're going to be covering the murderous Emma Hepperman and learning, Ooh. yeah, and learning how her family and murder combine. So it's going to be interesting. I'm very excited. In fact, I did a little bit of research, you know, Good. as I do, which is all of like seriously Googling. But um, I made potato soup in honor of, <laughs> in honor of Emma today. <laughs> That's amazing. We can start a sideshow, like murderous recipes. <laughs> that could be fun. There, a future cookbook coming from our podcast. Oh my God, that'd be so funny. Okay, okay. So tell me about Emma. Well, and, and I'll get started in a second, but I, I don't know. When you did your research, there really wasn't a whole lot out there, was there? No, there really wasn't. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to like try and spoil anything coming up here, but um, I was uh, kind of amazed at, considering she's fairly famous and she was definitely infamous at the time, how little there was out there on like particular details, you know? Oh, yeah. And what's interesting is she didn't really make that much national news either. It hmm. kind of stuck with her. And I don't know if it was because of the news going on at the time, because this is 1940 when the crime was committed. And there was a lot of stress over in Europe with the Nazis and all that. I don't know. But it mainly stayed to the local papers. Mm -hmm. It didn't go much beyond that. And then when you look at a list of past serial killers or women who've killed, her name doesn't usually appear on that. So hmm. I did stumble on her because I was looking to do a murder of somebody from where I had lived before. So Ooh. I went to high school in St. Charles, Missouri. And I oh, was looking- St. Charles, yay, yeah. that's such a great little town. It is. So I was looking for murder murderers from St. Charles and her name popped up in my search. And then I'm like, as I looked at it, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. So Fun. I'll get started. And so everybody can understand the whole reference to potato soup. I'm going to start with that right away. <laughs> um, after eating a meal of potato soup made by his new wife, Emma, Anthony Hepperman and his daughter, Ethel, who was 14, became ill at their home in Wentzville, Missouri. Both took to bed with Emma caring for them. When Tony's brother's wife came to visit, she found Ethel in a coma. Over the protest of Emma, she took Ethel to her home and let her husband, Stephen, know that Anthony was also extremely ill with convulsions. A doctor came to look at Ethel and concluded she had been poisoned. Stephen, wow. obviously being concerned, called the sheriff, Frank Borgmeier, immediately, letting him know his concerns. Stephen and Borgmeier and deputies met at the Hepperman residence but found no one at home. They entered the home through an unlocked window to investigate. A letter to Emma was found indicating they might now be in St. Louis. 
So neither Emma nor Anthony were at home. Stephen left to find out if they were in St. Louis while the sheriff and his deputies stayed to investigate. Then they proceeded to visit Ethel in the hospital. The sheriff's conversation with Ethel revealed that Emma kept serving them potato soup, explaining it would help them feel better. But each time they ate it, they felt even worse. Wonder what was in that soup. With this information, Sheriff Borgmeyer raced to the address in St. Louis, where he found both Stephen and Emma at the bedside of an extremely ill Anthony. According to an article in the Dayton Daily News, so it did reach beyond the St. Louis a little bit, um, Borgmeyer told Tony that he and his daughter had been poisoned, likely by Emma. Tony denied it was possible and explained they met after he hired her as a housekeeper. The sheriff asked if Emma had him buy life insurance. Anthony said no, she isn't that kind. She insisted, though, that I cash in on 700 acres of farmland. At that point, Pepperman was taken to the hospital. Later that day, Emma was arrested for the attempted poisoning of her husband. While Ethel eventually recovered after spending a month in the hospital, Anthony did not, dying two nights after Emma's arrest on May 28, 1940. His cause of death was determined to be arsenic poisoning. Wow. As the police investigated Tony's death, they learned that he was Emma's seventh husband. Wait, wait, wait. Back that up. Yes. Seventh husband. Seventh. Seventh. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that how many husbands Lydia Southern had? No, I'm trying to remember. Didn't she have like seven husbands? Like six or yeah, I think seven if you count the last, like, Southern, but, like, six of them were dead or something. Yeah. It's very familiar Interesting. number. <laughs> hmm. I'm seeing uh, parallels here. Yes. Well, five of her husbands <laughs> had died. It was later. Five of Emma's husbands had died. Yes. Wow. So they learned Tony was the seventh husband, five of whom had died previously. It was later discovered. Wow, that what her, a coincidence. It was later discovered that her sixth husband also died of arsenic poisoning after his body was exhumed the day after Anthony Hepperman died. Nearly a year later, Emma was found guilty and sentenced to life. In May 1968, her sentence was commuted. She died five months later on the 20th of October. And that is wow. what Emma did. And then we can get more into who she was and all of that. Okay. So. Wow. So I, I do find it interesting that, you know, she and Lydia Southern were kind of contemporaries. You know, they were kind of doing their thing around the same time. And, you know, we have this whole trope of the Black Widow, you know, in right. all these murder myths. Is this, are these the folks that this kind of came from? You know, I'm honestly not sure. I'd have to look into that more, but I don't believe they were the first to do this. I know there are some stories of women doing this even earlier. Okay. However, I doubt it was as commonly known because back then Mm -hmm. the news might not have spread as much beyond a local area. But it's interesting that you say they were contemporaries because Lydia Southard and Emma were about the same age. Mm-hmm. But when they got arrested yeah. for their crimes, it, there's a difference because mm-hmm. Emma was older. Yeah. And so, but, you know, I, I get curious what led her to kill at least these two husbands that we know of who died of arsenic poisoning. 
Mm -hmm. So I wanted to dig in and find out more. And I looked at newspaper reports at the time, even her death certificate. Um, and there was some conflicting information. So we'll get started with that, just with the basics of what was her name. Okay. Because many articles, her name was listed as Emma Serana Hepperman. I have never figured out where Serana came from. I wasn't hmm. sure. At first, I thought, well, maybe that could have been her maiden name. It was not her maiden name. I did determine that much. If it was a middle name, it was never recorded in any official documentation that I was ever able to find. Wow. Now, it could be that's what she listed as her name when she got arrested. And mm -hmm. so that was her middle name, but that I can't be sure of. It's also possible she was using Serana, so she wasn't giving out her actual maiden name. Mm -hmm. So we'll we might never know. Okay, so the name was a question mark. It, even in her death certificate, her name is not listed with the middle name Serana. Her name was listed as Emma Lee Hepperman, but that was not the last of my confusion because her age was a question mark. How old was she? And I say this because the papers at the time and even the more recent articles. Okay, so in June 2013, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch revisited the case and revisited Emma Hepperman. And they basically regurgitated what was in the papers at the time. What the papers said at the time was that Emma was 46 years old. So if she was 46 years old, that would mean that she was born in 1894, thereabouts. Hmm. But when I found her death certificate, I was surprised because it said she was born 10 years before that in 1883, meaning that she wouldn't have been 46, but 56. Oh. Now, the problem with death certificates is that the person reporting the information might not necessarily know the correct details. You can look at a death certificate as a great resource for information, but it's always better to give it some verification. I wanted to dig a little further and figure out how old was she. Okay. I was able to find on her death certificate the name of her parents. So now I had her maiden name. And that's when I determined it wasn't Serana. It was Stinnett. Her father was William Riley Stinnett. And her mother was Hattie Bell Keeling. Okay. Now from there, I went to the census records, because they're a great source of information, to find her parents and find her as a child. Now, one of the best census records to do this on, if you're at the right time period, is the 1900 census. Mm -hmm. Because in the 1900 census, they list the month and year they were born. Ah. Now, again, census records aren't always exact. You would have other people reporting, going, well, I believe they're born this and this, or some such, and you find out later, wait, that's way off. But it gives you at least a clue. Mm -hmm. So on the census, it listed her month and year and said that she was born June 1881, which would have meant that she would have been 12 years older than her reported age, making her 58. Interesting. So still confused. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I have three different dates now. Are any of these correct? Mm -hmm. The only thing that was consistent was she was born in June. Okay. So... I noticed that they lived in Crawford County, Missouri <laughs> in 1900 in the Merrimack Township. And this excited me so much. At first I was concerned we might be related. That's how much it concerned me. <laughs> because I come from a family that settled in Crawford County 
around 1820. Oh, wow. A good portion of that family still lives there to this day. Bunch of cousins, distant relations at this point. To give you an idea, I would estimate that I would have to go to a DNA test to make sure I wasn't marrying a cousin if I were to mm-hmm. try to marry somebody in that county. That's how embedded we are in the community because it wasn't just one line, it's multiple lines that have been there for a long time. I did discover though, it doesn't seem I'm related to Emma at all. <laughs> Maybe by the skin of my teeth, I don't know. So I'm very familiar with researching that county, which is wonderful because then I could go, okay, I know they have a paper there. Let's go see if I can access it. And I knew the, the best paper probably go to is the Crawford Mirror. And that's where I found some information. And as I dug, I found a birth announcement. Ooh. And it was, the birth announcement was in June, 1890. And it says, born to wife of W.R. Stinnett of Steelville, June 21, a daughter. Riley now has both a boy and a girl and is very much delighted at his good luck. The boy weighed three pounds at birth, but is now a hearty little fellow about three years old. The new arrival is not much larger than the first. So now we have a birth date for Emma. She was 49 when she was arrested. She was not 46. Okay. And she turned 50 soon after. So thank goodness for small town papers. (laughs) They really do tell you a lot. And I will Mm -hmm. say being written up in the Crawford Mirror did not, uh, because this came up last time when we were talking about Lita Southard and the True Blood family, there was not a level of status given to being written about. It was, were you active in the community? If you were active, whether you had money or status, you would be mentioned. I know that from looking at my family, because I know my family struggled financially, and so there you go. So Emma, one of the other things that was mentioned in the paper, and Emma made sure to tell everybody in the paper, was that she married her first husband when she was 14 years old. Oh, the poor girl. Right? I think people would probably feel very sympathetic about that, right? hmm But she lied. <gasps> because I have her wedding announcement. And uh-huh. since I know how old she was and when her birthday is, I know, according to the wedding announcement, that she did not get married at that age. She got married at... 19 years old okay still a youngin but not but not as young not unreasonably so at that time right at that time being married between 16 that's still on the young end but 16 to 20 for a first marriage is pretty common mm-hmm. 20 being on the older end in some cases um and it said that that she was married at the home of her parents on february 20th 1910 to Sh- charles schwack and told the time and who all attended and the mirror joins the many friends of the bride and groom extending best wishes. Well, I wanted to learn more about her first husband, Charles Schwack. And I I dug into some stuff and I was kind of surprised to learn a few things. So I'm gonna get into that right now. This was not his first marriage. This was his second marriage. His first marriage was to a woman by the name of Maud. And she had died in 1908, and there was an announcement about her death. Mrs. Maud Schwack, wife of Charles Schwack, died at her home in this city 
aged 21 years, nine months, and 22 days. Her maiden name was Tinker. The cause of her death was consumption. She was the daughter of the late William Tinker and was united in marriage to Charles Schwack about three years ago. Besides a young husband, she leaves a little babe about a year old. She had made her peace with God and signified a willingness to meet her redeemer. The young husband and motherless babe have the sympathy of our citizens and in their need of their hour of need. That's really tragic. It is. They say the young husband, he, he wasn't particularly young. When he married Emma a couple of years later, he would have been 35. So he had married his previous wife five years before that. So he would have married his first wife when he was 30 and she was 18. Okay. And then he marries a second wife who's 19 and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Not that it means anything. That would also sometimes be common too. Mm -hmm. As long as they were of age, most people didn't have a problem with it. Charles and Emma had two daughters in the next few years. Now, she claimed that she had had 12 pregnancies or 12 babies, but only four lived. Mm -hmm. I guess it's possible. There's no way to prove it other, either way. But, but she did have at least four daughters. The first one she had was Lottie. She was born in 1911. And the next one was Elmina, who was born in 1915. Well, what happened to the daughter from her husband's first marriage? You're so good. <laughs> That's what I was hoping to bring up. In the 1910 census, she was living with Charles and Emma. But at and what was her point, name? Her name was Helen. Helen. Okay. Hey, that's my grandmother's name. Oh, good name. But at some point, she was removed from the home. And it was likely before Lottie was born. And Lottie was born in September 1911. They got married in February 1910. But in the paper in June 1911, there was this little item. Charles Schwack was arrested on Tuesday last on a charge of unlawfully assaulting his child and on entering a plea of guilty, was fined $20 and cost. Wow. And I know for sure she was removed from the home because later on, and I'll get to that in a second. Okay. So it makes you wonder what was going on in the home otherwise. But Emma would have been pregnant when he was arrested. Wow. Yeah. Poor Helen, she doesn't have her mother around. She has an abusive father. Then in April 1917, a notice appeared in the paper again. And it's just so heartbreaking. Helen Schwach, daughter of Charles Schwach, Born May 27, 1906, died in Steelville, April 15, 1917, aged 10 years, 10 months, and 18 days. Oh my gosh, does it say what she died from? No, and I have looked and searched to find more on what she died of. Mm -hmm. The Missouri death certificates, you can access them on their the um, Secretary of State website and their archives. Mm -hmm. are available from, I think it's 1915 up to 1967 right now. I'd have to verify, but they're all available. I have searched every which way and cannot find her death certificate. Oh my gosh. So there is no death certificate for her. Now, what also came out was that she was living at the time with her uncle, Charles's brother, Edward Schwack. 
And I get the impression because there was a thank you card that went out in the paper saying Mrs. Edward, what, Edward Schwack and Miss Lydia Tinker desires to express their grateful appreciation to the friends that assisted us during the sickness and after the death of our little Helen. So it could be that she was ill and for their kindness and sympathy in our sorrow. So the Tinkers were her mom's family and then the Schwacks were her father's. Okay. So, wow. It, it had to be heartbreaking. So Charles and Emma had two more daughters after Helen passed away, bringing the total to four, Lola May in 1918 and Eileen Leora in 1920. Now, sometimes between Lola, sometime between Lola's birth and Eileen's, the Schwack family moved from Crawford County to Pontiac, Michigan, where Charles went to work as a blacksmith. And I found an interesting couple of tidbits in the paper up there in Michigan involving Emma. So my interesting tidbit was printed in the paper in October 1920 in the Detroit Free Press. And it says the following, Law Studies Status of Friendless Babe. Did Mrs. Emma Schwack agree to care for the infant son of Mrs. Bernice Knight of Paddock Street or not? Is the question involved in trial of Mrs. Knight, who was charged with abandonment? Mrs. Schwack took the baby to the city hospital and said it had been left at her home during her absence. The mother told officers she had arranged in a local attorney's office with Mrs. Schwack to take the child with a view to adopting it later. The matter was put over to October 20th and Mrs. Knight released without bail. The six-week-old child is at the hospital. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's crazy stuff. And there's another story the next day about it. And it continued that Mrs. Schwack said the child had been left at her home by a woman who drove up in a big automobile and took the child inside while Mrs. Schwack was absent, leaving it with her six-year-old daughter with the remark that this is the baby your mother wanted to adopt. On her return from shopping, Mrs. Schwack declares she bathed the child and took it to the hospital. I never could find a follow-up on what happened with the baby or the mother. Wow. But it does, when you get to know what, who Emma was, it does make you wonder if she did tell the mother that she'd adopt it and she changed her mind when the baby appeared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I don't think most women would just randomly put a child there that the other person would know who the mother is. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. That's very strange. Well, they didn't stay in Michigan for too long. Um, Charles was a blacksmith, so I guess he could have worked anywhere, and they returned back to Crawford County. Then on July 15, 1925, so they had been married for 15 years now, Charles died after six days of illness. The death certificate describes his death as dysentery caused by overheating. Emma would later hmm. go on to say that she gave him cold water because he was overheated, and that's when he developed dysentery. Of course, I had a deep dive. What's dysentery? Can I understand it more? It's an inflammation of the intestines accompanied by bloody diarrhea. It can cause dehydration and symptoms can also cause nausea, fever, vomiting, and fatigue. Do any of those symptoms sound familiar to you? Not at all. No. <laughs> you know, um, isn't this what you die from when you play Oregon Trail? Yes. It's like you die from dysentery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the description sounds like my last year of law school, but you know, still. <laughs> right, but I, I don't, most people don't, 
dehydration doesn't cause dysentery. No, no. I mean, I, they do say it can, it's kind of like, oh, typhoid and that it could be passed from infected water mm -hmm. and food. But I still found that kind of odd. Yeah, I was gonna say, isn't dysentery like sort of like a catch-all? We re I really should do more research, I feel, but um, <laughs> it's sort of like a catch-all for any terrible gastric um, issue that causes major diarrhea. So it could be E. coli, it could right. be caused by any number of things. And but actually, basically, even if you don't die, you feel like you want to. Right. And actually, according to what I researched on dysentery, E. coli is one of the bacteria that can cause dysentery. I think it was, especially back then, it was probably a catch-all diagnosis because they didn't know as much. Right. Now they know more and they can investigate a little bit more closely for toxins and bacteria to see what caused the death. Mm -hmm. And they can eliminate certain things a little quicker. So I don't think you see dysentery that often anymore. Well, after her husband died, Emma claimed she married a man by the name of Frank Lee. And I say claim because I cannot find any marriage record anywhere. Hmm. It's written about in the papers that she had, her second husband was Frank Lee, but I can't find anything. <laughs> and they now, were you able to find the existence of a Frank Lee? Not really. I mean, Frank Lee is a common name, so there's a few, but I couldn't narrow hmm. it down. Okay. And, and part of the challenge here is if she was married to him in 1930, when the census came out mm -hmm. and I saw him living with her, then I could verify it okay. and I could know more. But they were divorced before 1930 because in the 1930 census, Emma's living with her daughters in St. Louis at 1323 Taylor Street or Taylor Avenue, I should say. And she was working as a seamstress. Where that is? Where is oh that? Oh my gosh. Well, it's, it's close to downtown. Um, so yeah, like all the presidential streets, you know, Oh, that's and right. so 13 blocks out. So that's true. I should have thought of that myself. I wonder well, if there's like some cool restaurant there now. That'd be interesting. You should look that up and see where it is now. I'm going to look that up while you're talking. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> well, Emma wasn't too brokenhearted from the divorce. She married not long after in January, 1931 to Frank Brimser. Frank was 21 years her senior. The marriage, though, was short-lived after Frank fell from a ladder just four months later. And there's mm. a lovely newspaper report in the St. Louis paper with the headline, Man Injured in Fall of Four Feet Dies. Having been in physical rehab hospital in the past, I know that a small fall can lead to great injury. But mm -hmm. this one, you tell me what you think after I read you what the article says. Frank J. Bremser. 63, an engineer of 3809 Clarence Avenue, died at his home at 6.50 o'clock yesterday morning from injuries suffered last Thursday when he fell from a four-foot step ladder while washing paint on the front porch of a flat building he owned. Brimser's brother, Dr. Harry L. Brimser, said Brimser apparently suffered internal injuries. A similar diagnosis was given by Dr. Joseph Mays who was called into the case Monday morning and who recommended sending Brimser to the city hospital. To this, Brimser refused consent. He was pronounced dead by a neighborhood physician summoned yesterday morning. An inquest will be held in the morning. On his death certificate, it was determined that he had tearing of his gastrointestinal 
parts of her bo his body, basically. I'm yeah. going to read Frank Brinser's cause of death on his um, death certificate. It said it was a hemorrhage due to rupture lining on part of the stomach wall after falling from a ladder. Ew. Now, I, I have so many questions on this one because that seems awfully suspicious to me. The stomach wall mm -hmm. being torn after falling? Like, was it something where like an ulcer burst and the pain made him fall off the ladder? Or did he fall off the ladder and get poked by a broken part of the ladder? Or is it possible? Or did they just not know what the hell happened and said, this seems like a likely explanation? Right. I mean, the possibilities are pretty amazing because it could be almost anything. Um, it could also, I suspect, be something poisonous or not mm -hmm. good for the stomach lining that would make mm -hmm. it tear apart. But she not being a doctor. poisoning him slowly. Exactly. You know? And then it just ate out his stomach before it killed him. Yeah, and they were not married very long. Now, did he have a life insurance policy by chance? That I wasn't able to find. Um, yeah. But they were only married for four months. Oh, my. She has just such terrible luck with her husband. She does. And this is husband number three. So she Oh, my wrote, God, we're only three in. Oh, my gosh. And she found husband number four, Bert Lee Roberts, marrying him in early 1933. Bert Roberts also came from Crawford County. So I I'm, I'm, don't know. They might have known each other. They might not have. I mean, it's a smaller community, but it doesn't mean they necessarily knew each other. Unfortunately, Bert died in July 1933, so only a few months into their marriage, of acute gastritis and acute nephritis, which is renal failure, basically, or kidney problems, because of excessive heat. Uh-huh. Yeah. Excessive heat. Right? Wow. Now, I bet she knew how to boil flypaper. <laughs> I think she knew that trick, and that comes out later <laughs> in the trial. But she married number five and took a little longer to find him, a William Andrew Vaughn. Now, I found just gold in my search. Um, so she had relocated basically closer to home in Cuba, Missouri, which is part of Crawford County. Mm -hmm. And today it's off of I-44 if you're heading to Rolla. So, but it's still a small community. But her fifth husband, there was an article with him in the St. Louis Star and Times on June 5th, 1940, where he tells about his marriage to Mrs. Hepperman because he survived this marriage. Mm. And it says that Vaughn, whom the State Highway Police had been trying to locate, was found by a reporter, not by the police, but by a reporter on a farm near Cook Station, Missouri. He was hoeing corn under a noonday sun when the reporter approached him. Oh. They went to the side and had a conversation where he puffed on a pipe as he told of his life with Emmy. Wow. I love these little details. Vaughn was 20 when Mrs. Hepperman was born in Steelville, Missouri. He knew her first husband, Charles Schwack, and also her fourth husband, Bertley Roberts, both of whom were Crawford County residents. Well, sir. I thought I knew women because I had four wives before, but Emmy. Four <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just like 
He's like, yep, I got four wives. Could he hold on to any of them? No, but he sure knows women. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and and think about it. That was her fifth husband and she was his fifth wife. So it's a match set. Yes, of course. And then he goes on to say about a year after Bert died, I met Emmy at a carnival at Cuba. I saw her off and on after that. And in 1935, she became my housekeeper. She kept the house as neat as a pen. The first thing I knew, we were on our way to Potosi, and I was a married man again. Mm. On the way back to Cuba from Potosi, she told me I ought to make her the beneficiary of a $1,000 life insurance policy I had. (laughs) Uh She was no slouch. No, she's not. I told her that policy was for my four children, and I wasn't going to change it. At about a month after we were married, we separated, and I left the house. So I guess he was not impressed with that need, and she was probably frustrated because that's not how she thought it was going to go. A few so weeks when later, she says he he left the house or she left the house? He left the house. So she got a house out of the deal? It sounds like it, but it gets better. Oh, wow. A few yeah. weeks later, she coaxed me back, Ooh. but the house burned down. Oh, God. And she went off to St. Louis. It was all right with me, but doggone it if she didn't come back and bring some furniture with her. And we got a new house three miles outside of Cuba. Yeah. <laughs> she commenced nagging me, and I finally told her to get out. Wow. So they got married in October 1935. They finally, they were only together basically that whole time of six months. And they didn't get divorced for until October 1937. So they were married almost two years, but they were only together for six months. Wow. If he had agreed to do the life insurance policy, he might not have made it to 1937. So Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking, too. Mm-hmm. I wonder what his children thought of his shenanigans. <laughs> that's a good question. Well, it didn't take long after her divorce that Emma met her sixth husband, Aloysius Schneider. Ooh, let's appreciate that name for a minute. Aloysius Schneider. Yes. I love old tiny names. Okay. They're they're (laughs) great. And I've seen that name a lot. They married at the end of 1937. Aloysius, unfortunately, died, of course. This is husband number six. And what his cause of death was determined to be ventricular fibrillation. Ventricular fibrillation? Thank you. So he had a heart attack. Right. Okay. And I'll get back to this. But so that's in September 1939, he dies. In March 1940, Anthony Hepperman advertises for a housekeeper. Emma responds to the advertisement and gets a job taking care of the house and his daughter, Ethel. In April, the very next month, Emma talks Hepperman into marrying her. Hmm. And from the paper, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch in November 1940, they kind of described the courtship, and it's from one of his other daughters, not Ethel, um, but his daughter, who was Mrs. Isabella Egan at the time, was telling what happened, and she said, my father hadn't made up his mind about marrying Emma, who was then known to us as Emma Lee or Emma Schneider. He managed to get a good pair of shoes on to go to the Higginbotham's funeral last April, and on the way home, Emma said to him, see now, hep, you can get your good shoes on to go to a funeral so you can put them on to get married if you wanted to. Yeah. 
Her father was apparently dubious about getting married at his age, since he was 52, and was a reluctant fiance, but they did marry. And apparently Emma made it clear that she wasn't going to stay as a housekeeper if she wasn't married. Okay. So she kind of manipulated the situation to get married. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that was not the wisest decision because mm. it was only a few weeks later at the end of May that Emma serves her famous potato soup mm. and she is arrested. A few days after the arrest, they exhume her sixth husband's body, Aloysius's, and redo his certificate by holding an inquest. The inquest was on June 4th, a few days later, and they determined that he died from arsenic poisoning. Wow. I'm After shocked. Doing a toxicology exam and an aut- full autopsy. Wow. Right? So, of her, so, and Hepperman died too, didn't he? Yes. I mean, he, he died okay. only a couple days later. And, and it's interesting because when you read the old newspaper reports right before his death, they're like, well, it looks like he might recover. Or he received many transfusions today, but they think he's going to recover. Oh, God. He didn't. But his daughter, Ethel, did. Mm -hmm. Now, so she served that soup to the whole family? To him and his daughter, yes. Wow. So, I have to say, that was not really smart of her. You know, because, you know, it's one thing, you know, an old, crusty farmer drops dead. You know? But when you start killing the kids, people are going to take notice. Or trying to kill the kids. Yeah, that's crazy. It is. And what I find interesting, I'm going to show you a picture of him, and I I will post this on the website, is consider her age at the time this is going on. She's 50. You and I are not too far from her age. I'm 50 right now. I think we look younger than her. Oh, wow. By a ton. Wow. Was she... um, was she blonde, maybe? That might be why she looks so old in that um, photograph. I, I, all the photographs were black and white, so it's hard to know. But I believe she wasn't blonde. I think that's gray hair. Wow. But nowadays, people really don't know what normal aging looks like because everybody dyes their hair, right? You know? I mean, I'm certainly not going to be the one to let them on, you know? <laughs> I'm going to keep dyeing my hair. So I'm letting my hair go. What can I say? I'm tired of dyeing it. That's very mature of you. And I'm also not interested in going to a salon quite yet. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do it myself. So there's that. Remind me to tell you about the time my sister-in-law and I got drunk and tried to give each other highlights. (laughs) Now that's a great story for us. It looked like a skunk had stuck its finger into an electric socket. It was just (laughs) bad. It was bad. Cost a lot of money to fix it too. But I digress. Continue. (laughs) Well... I went in to look into her family tree because that's the whole point of the podcast. But I will say I hit so many walls trying to find the family. I would only get so far back and then I would be stuck. So, and I have lots of little tricks in my arsenal to try to dig people out and find them because one of the best places to go are census records mm-hmm. because you know, they happen every 10 years, every family is supposed to be counted. But even with my own family, I swear some of them were hiding from the census takers. Mm-hmm. You're relying on a lot of stuff. And sometimes the census takers weren't the best at spelling. Sometimes the people they were counting didn't know how to spell their own names. They knew their name, but they didn't know necessarily how to spell it. Right. So they would say it and they would sound it out. You have to kind of go in different ways to try to find the stuff. And I, I did find some, but not a whole lot. 
like I said, her father's name was William Riley Dennett. He was born in 1858 in Crawford, Missouri, and he married Hattie Bell Keeling, and they married in 1885. And they had three children that I could find. Um, the first was William, just like dad, but he went by the name Willie. Then was Emma, and followed by Viola. I can't find very much on Viola and what happened to her, but I did find stuff on Willie. And it's really a sad story. In the Crawford Mirror, on the 1st of March, 1898, there was a story. While Riley Stennett was driving fence posts last Monday, the mall flew off the handle, striking his son Willie on the head with such force as to render him unconscious. The young man lingered in this condition until Thursday when death came to his relief. It is indeed a sad affair and the heartfelt sympathy to all our people goes out to Mr. Stinnett and family and their deep affliction. Oh my God, that is tragic. I mean, it's wow. sad. And how old would Emma have been when that happened? So that was 1898. She would have been eight years old. Not even oh eight, my gosh. Right before she turned eight. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a very impressionable age. And her brother would have been 11 when that happened to him. Wow. And they did have a younger sister who would have been three. Okay. When I was looking up William and I was trying to get as much information as I could, I discovered a little thing in the paper and I have, I have tried to dig and I have tried to find what I could. But on the 12th of October in 1882, there was this little tidbit. At a special term in June, Riley Stennett and Peter Walker were convicted and each sentenced to two years in the penitentiary. I have yet to determine what they went to jail for. Wow. And this was Emma's dad? Yes. And he would have been 24. Wow. It was three years before he got married. And this was 1884? Two. 1882. 1882. That's fascinating. And that was Crawford County, Missouri? Yes. Okay. That's really interesting. Kind of makes you wonder if there was like something happening at that point, you know? Right? Yeah. I mean, it brings up your curiosity. And I want to kind of go backtrack for a second because I was thinking about with Emma and her first husband, Charles. Charles was jailed for hitting his daughter, Helen. Remember? And she was removed oh, yeah. and he mm -hmm. was fined $20 and court fees. Mm -hmm. And it makes you, which does not seem nearly enough for beating a child. And when you consider back then that you could spank your children without much interference, it had to be pretty serious. Well, yeah, because honestly, I mean, I have to sit and think a little bit, but they didn't even have child protection laws. Right. Until like close to the 1900s. Yeah, so, and, I, and they came in, interestingly enough, under um, animal abuse laws. Oh, I know. Isn't that crazy? Because um, basically they were saying we have laws against abusing animals. You know, why don't we have laws against abusing children? And so there was this one court case and I want to say it was in New York. I'm kind of reaching 30 yes. years yes. back into law school for this. Right. <laughs> um, where basically they had this poor kid was basically so beaten that they were like, we're willing to classify him as an animal to get him the hell out of that home. And then they started passing all of these child welfare laws. But um, anyway, just to, you know, belabor the point you had already made, that it had to have been pretty bad if they removed a child from home. Right. And they, they said unlawfully assaulting. 
the, wow. that makes you think it was pretty severe. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that maybe Charles wasn't just beating his child, yeah. but his wife, Emma? Mm -hmm. And maybe that would not the, shock me. Mm -hmm. Maybe the first murder, and I, I'm I'm not saying she should have murdered him at all. So if, if family members, it's okay. We realize you do not condone murder. No, I do the not. The show does not condone murder. No, but it makes you wonder: Was he hitting her? Was that the first motive? And then after that, mm -hmm. became oh wait, I got money. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a way to better her life through money because she, at this, this point, she has no regard for human life anymore. Exactly. Or she's just angry at men. So for all we know, her father might've been the same way. Exactly. I'm not saying he was, if you're a stinnit, I'm sorry. I'm just saying there, these are theories that I'm going through. It, it does make you wonder, especially when, yep. you know, I read this that he's putting the fence post in, the thing knocks the kid's head, that could be, or it could be something else. This mm -hmm. is what happens when you're obsessed with murder. You think everything might have an ulterior motive and it might not mm -hmm. be exactly as said, but it does bring well, up- Well, I have to admit, I would be very suspicious. Um, Will, Riley Stennett died in 1927 and his wife, Hattie, died in 1919. So they both died long before Emma's first husband passed away. Oh, no, that's not true. Riley died a couple years after her first husband died. So as I dug, I found, using census records, I found William's father, and that his name was Benjamin Dennett. Benjamin was born in Tennessee, and at some point moved to Missouri, where he first got married to Louisa Boyer, or Louisa Boyer. It's spelled a couple different ways, in Washington County, Missouri. Now, when I'm looking at family trees, I love to have confirmed sources. I like primary sources the most. I will sometimes go to other family trees to confirm or to give me a hint if I'm stuck, because sometimes somebody's been digging on that line for a long time. So I was thrown off because in the 1850 census, no, in the 1860 census, he's married to a Moravia. And Moravia is list, was the mother of their children based on the years they were born and how long they had said that they had been married. So it made me question, is Moravia be also Louisa or not? And what I'm finding is a lot of other trees also think that it's a separate person. So the belief is that Louisa died sometime between when they got married in 1848 and probably 1852. Okay. He remarried Moravia, which I cannot find any record of, can't determine yet what her maiden name was or anything. But they ended up having seven children, and I don't have all their names. Because some people on the census would list their names as initials. <laughs> and that can be a real challenge <laughs> to <Yeah>. find. <laughs> sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. <laughs> um, so they had several children. And I found Benjamin Stennett's obituary of sorts in the Crawford Mirror in 1893. Mr. Benjamin Stennett of Dry Creek died at the residence of Marcus Ernie, March 28, 1893. He had been sick a number of months with Bright's disease and dropsy. He was about 75 years old and was a much respected old gentleman. He was the father of Riley Stennett of this place. Wow. And that's about as far as I got for the Stennett line. Mm -hmm. 
The other line I went down to, though, is I looked at his mother's line, the Hattie Bell Keeling, and I was kind of excited because I found a little bit more today as I was just making sure I didn't miss something because, like I said, this, this family has frustrated me to no end. I've looked for census records that are missing, all of these things. But William Keeling was the father of Hattie Bell, and from all I could determine, Hattie Bell was their only child. He was married to Melinda Stoddard in 1857 in Fulton County, Illinois. He was from Springfield, Illinois. I gotta say this to the listeners, just so you know, I'm doing all my research via computer and there are limitations when you're doing it that way. Because the ideal way is if you can, you go to the county courthouse and you dig for records there and you can usually find a little bit more. And I feel guilty on this one because I had thought about going to Springfield because I'm not that far, mm -hmm. but it just never happened. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You have a whole life happening besides. You I know. do. So if other people have information more than what I'm, we're sharing on here, feel free to share it with us. Um, we can post stuff on the website so we can share it that way as well. So I am limited a bit. Um, I could not find any information on Hattie's mother's line, Melinda Stoddard. Mm -hmm. I have some suspicions of where it could be, but I don't have confirmation and I don't feel comfortable sharing it. Right. Um, with William Keeling, though, at some point, let's see. So in 1850, he lived in Fulton County. William Keeling married in 1857, lived in Fulton County. In 1850 and 1860, he lived in Fulton County. I cannot find him in 1870, because that would be too easy. <laughs> By 1880, he was living in Crawford County, Missouri. And when he died, he had an obituary in the Crawford County Mayor. And that was November 1911. And it says, Mr. William Keeling, aged 78 years, died at his home in the city Monday night, November 20th. Mr. Keeling had been suffering for a number of months from the effect of paralysis and would recover sufficient to be enabled to walk down in town, and he had been afflicted in this manner for a number of months. He was well known to most of our citizens. Before becoming aged and afflicted, he was industrious to an exceptional degree. He was a brick molder by trade and made the brick in many of the buildings in Steelville. When a young man, he was united in marriage and is reported leaves two sons and a daughter by the union. The sons are said to be someplace in New York, and the daughter is Mrs. Riley Stinnett of this place. About 30 years ago, he was united in marriage to the widow of the late Robert Ferguson, and they have lived in the city, accepting short times in Salem and Sullivan while employed at his trade. Now, I know it says he has two sons and a daughter. I could not find evidence of the sons or the daughter, ever. And I, I digged, and I looked, and I could not find anything on that, which is very frustrating. But it also makes me think, based on the way it's done, if he had two sons and a daughter and one's in New York, then he would have come from New York, but he didn't. And I never found evidence that he went east to New York either. I guess the child could have. I was gonna say, you know, life in Missouri at that point was pretty rough. They might have decided, you know, the kids might have been like, hey, there's no money to be made here, we're going back east. Right. But since he dank, he came from Sangamon County, Illinois, from Springfield, mm -hmm. by the time he married Melinda, he was 22. 
So it's doubtful he had a marriage before that. And in the 1860 census, he's not listed with any other children other than his daughter, Hattie. So if they had more children, I guess they could have had them between 1860 and 1870 since he didn't appear on the 1870 census or I can't find him. And that's possible, but it, it's very confusing because they never list the name. Um, his wife though did pass away um, before 1880, Melinda did, and he did remarry Lucinda Gilbert. Okay. Now, William's parents were Lewis Ealing and Nancy. Now, some people have names for it, but I'm not sure if that's her name. Lewis Keeling was born around 1793 in Kentucky. He married Nancy, and she was born around 1798 in Indiana, probably around 1820. And I'm guessing they got married in Indiana, but I cannot find any marriage records on their, their nuptials. They moved to Illinois sometime between 1825 and 1833, based on where their children were born and settled in Sangamon County, Illinois. And Lewis passed away on the 12th of May, 1856 in Sangamon County. And I found this because today is when I located his will. Ooh. And on his will, they listed the cause of death. I thought there was something interesting to share and I know it's fairly typical in wills at the time and you know all about wills. All about wills. So maybe you can help explain, but he leaves a list and they, they had money. They had, a, he had a large estate based on what he was leaving his children. Um, for example, he's giving each one of his kids $400. Nice. Which is quite a bit of money in 1856. Mm -hmm. Well, we get to number eight on his will and it says, and this is hard to read because I'm looking at the handwriting says, I will and bequeath to my beloved wife, Nancy, all my real estate and persons, personal property, I should say, to be used by her and for the support of herself and our two youngest children, to wit, Squire and Nancy, for and during her natural life. And at her death, it shall be equally distributed to the children, Squire and Nancy. Now they have nine children and he had already left everything else to the older seven, mm -hmm. um, but he's making sure they're provided for. Now this is the part that got to me because it kind of tells you where women's status was <laughs> back then, <laughs> even in a marriage that said, she gets this money provided if my wife, Nancy should hereafter get married, she shall be required to forfeit any interest in the estate and deliver the same over immediately in that event to my said son, squire and daughter, Nancy. So basically mm -hmm. to remarry, she gives up all that she was given by Lewis and she has to give it to her children. Right. Well, and she only had a life estate in it. So it wasn't really hers to dispose of. She couldn't have sold it or anything right. like that. She just had the use of it. Mm -hmm. um, which honestly was very common and um, and of course property laws varied from state to state but in a lot of states a married woman could not own property in her own name right so everything belonged to the guy and she just had use of it anyway you know um, what I do find interesting 
is that he was going like if she did get remarried and even if you know once she dies it gets distributed to both of the kids but not in a trust or anything that would hold it for them but directly to the kids and i find that fascinating that he would give that much to his daughter yeah you know when we look at all the others you know so i'm wondering like okay yeah she probably was the apple of his eye whatever but <laughs> it's like when she was 15, i find that fascinating she was 15 when he died so mm -hmm. maybe for a dowry purposes or who knows well nancy yeah. nancy remarried two years later good on him good on her excuse me yeah <laughs> but unfortunately her her husband she remarried a man by the name of james douglas he passed away before 1860. So they got married in 1858 and he died before the next census. Oh my gosh. And she was living with her children until she, her death, which was sometime after 1870. Okay. Oh my gosh. And that is the family tree and the history of Emma Hepperman. Interesting. Now for Emma's children, we really don't know what happened to them, did we? Well, I do know a little bit of what happened to them. And unfortunately, it's not all wonderful news. Um, she did not kill her children from anything I could tell. I mean, she tried to kill her stepdaughter, but you know, minor detail, right? <laughs> As I say, way better than Lita from last week who killed her own daughter. Right, well, it is way better than Lita because she did not kill her children. So her four daughters, for the most part, they ended up living some decent lives. Um, as far as I can tell, they were never listed in anything to do with their mother. I didn't see their names in news reports. But her oldest, Lottie, who was born in 1911, she died in 1965. She was, about, she was 53 at the time, and she died of tuberculosis. Oh. But she was married, and she had two children. Then her sister, Elmina, she died in 1986, also married, also had, she had three children, and her husband had died eight years before her. The youngest, Eileen Leora, she was born in 1920, she didn't die until 1997 in St. Louis, also with a family. Um, she was married a couple of times. Wow. But the third daughter, she didn't live as long as her sisters, unfortunately. Tuber she had tuberculosis and she died in 1932. Oh my. Just before she turned 14 when they lived in St. Louis. Oh my gosh. You know, it strikes me how many people in that family got tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, it was a lot more common back then than it is now. And it's not completely uncommon now. Um, we just are better able to treat it, but um, but even then, I mean, it, it just it's surprising to me that so many people in one family got tuberculosis at different times. You know, I, but I, I've actually seen it pretty common during this time period, so it was fairly common in St. Louis. So while it's surprising, it's not shocking in terms of this family because. Because the last one, the one who died when she was 13, mm -hmm. she died in 1932. Her sister, mm -hmm. who died, didn't die for like 20 or so years later. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be connected. 
That's interesting though. And um, so in 1933, when the 14 year old passed away, where was her mom in which marriage was she in? That's a very good question. Let's see. So 1933, she, I believe she was married to, see, that's a great question because she was married to Bert Roberts in 1933, but they were not married for that long. And actually it was in 32 when Lola died. And in 32, okay. Emma, I believe was in between husbands. So it was between Frank Brimser and Bert Roberts. Okay. And we know for sure it was tuberculosis. We have no reason at this time to suspect otherwise. And I would think had she killed Lola, she would have been trying to kill her other daughters as well. Mm, probably, but you know, there's always the annoying kid, you know? True. I would like to think she didn't, but I guess it's always a possibility. I mean, I don't know. I just think it's interesting that, um, well, I frankly find it fascinating that she was able to get married seven times. Well, yeah. And especially to, was it the number six husband who oh, knew just, two of her previous husbands? Right. I'm like, oh, the, okay. That was the fifth one. And he, the, the he, fifth one, right. And I'm like, okay, at what point do you go, this just seems a little fishy. But then he'd had five previous ones, or this was his fifth marriage too. So maybe he was just like, hey, some people don't have very good luck. But again, if I would not marry somebody who had the bad luck of their spouse dying. Right. Like, that's a lot of well, bad luck. It's, it's one spouse dying. Okay, that's bad luck. It's multiple that you start to go, hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I forgot to mention something, though. But I think this is why I'm not so sure he, she killed Lola. Because okay. I think the only reason she killed Ethel, or tried to kill Ethel, Ethel because Ethel lived, was what they determined in court as her motive for killing her as well that apparently her plan was to sell the 91 acres that hepperman owned but that ethel hepperman was given 1300 dollars in postal savings bonds by her grandparents mm -hmm. and with her dead she would get the savings bonds of 1300 dollars as oh well as God. the land Wow. So she's killing a little kid for savings bonds. For money. Yeah. She tried to, you know. Right. Thankfully, didn't, didn't right. happen. Thankfully, now, she Now, do we know what happened with Ethel? How was her life? I want her to have an amazing life. I, honestly, I could not find very much on her. I think she, her name was changed. Um, I did look, but a lot of it was kind of covered up. So... As to Ethel, there isn't a ton of information, but there is an obituary. And in it, it states that she didn't marry. Was it, was it royalty? Did she have royalty? Did she have a match set of bay horses? I, I don't think I've ever heard of these people, but she lived her life as a homemaker, it says. And she died of natural causes at the age of 75. Oh, and nice. She, and she had a daughter. And they, she remained in the St. Louis area. Oh, lovely. I bet she never poisoned her own daughter. I'm pretty sure she didn't. They probably would have remarked on that in the obituary, I would think. Yeah, I, I can't imagine living with that for the rest of your life. It couldn't have been no. easy for her. Oh my gosh, no. Well, and especially once her evil stepmother got out of prison. 
Because she wasn't really in prison very long, was she? I believe she was in prison for 20, at least 25 years, 28 years. Then I am wrong. But did she die in prison or was she released before? No, she was released and then she died a few months later. Okay. Oh, wait, yeah, you said that at the beginning. I I remember now. I'm sorry about so that. So she was released. So she was imprisoned in November 1940. They were. She was found guilty. I believe it was 1940. Mm-hmm. Might have been 41, but then she was released in 1968. Mm-hmm. And she died not that long after her release. And her cause of death was medullary failure or urine, uremia, whatever. I can never say these things. And So I have to say, she must have been a pretty remarkable person. Because if my evil stepmother, my stepmother's not evil, by the way, she's very... And you're talking about Ethel now, right? I am talking about Ethel now. Um, If that had happened to me, where my evil stepmother had killed my father, Mm -hmm. tried to kill me, all over $1,300, which is a significant amount of money back then, but was it worth killing people for? I mean, that's... I would be very offended, and I would mail her broken glass every day. Yeah, like, and I can't, I can't even imagine what Emma Hubberman's children mm-hmm. went, felt. Oh, yeah. They were all married by the time her mom, their mom did this. So they didn't live with her last name. And besides, they never knew her maiden name in the papers. So right. they were able to avoid that spotlight if they wished, mm-hmm. which it seems they did. But yeah. I can't imagine knowing that your mom was behind these deaths and then maybe putting things together and go, wait, if she possibly murdered all my, uh, the other stepfathers, could she have Mm -hmm. murdered our own father Mm -hmm. and living with that? And as far as I know, and as far as I've been able to tell, their families have been normal, no crime sense, no issues. So it's, it's hard. You gotta wonder. Yeah. Like what broke inside that person, you know, that she was like, Hey, this seems like the best way to get through life. I'm going to marry people and kill them for their money. Yeah. It's like, like, that's just a a kind of, you know, way of approaching life. That's not something I would have considered. No, it's not something I've ever considered. Mm -mm. And I have to admit, I don't think I would get married to somebody I thought I might want to kill at some point. You would hope not, but you you have to think that's what she was thinking. Every time she got married was, hmm, maybe I can get him to have a a life insurance policy. Now, of course, the first marriage was 15 years. That's Mm -hmm. not a short amount. So it makes you think something in that marriage Mm might have triggered it for him or or her. Now, it could be that she didn't poison him Mm -hmm. and he died of natural causes or what they said it was, you know, dysentery. Mm -hmm. And then she got money from it. And then she's like, huh, this is kind of nice. And she was apparently very good at housekeeping. Yes. And, and good at talking guys into marrying her. Exactly. So, I mean, there's a worse set of survival skills. So, you know. But I can't but, help but think that her first husband might have been abusive just based on abusing his mm-hmm. firstborn child with his, her dead mother. Yeah. That that was the cause. And that mm-hmm. she last, she found a way to take care of the problem. Mm-hmm. But then let it go to her head in the way like, oh, well, this works out nicely for me. Mm-hmm. Something broke. 
Well, and I mean, Emma's children, you know, cause I got it, you know, she had girls to protect. Yes. Kind of makes you wonder. True. You know, and if they were married 15 years, then her daughters would have been 14-ish and younger. And it, it did say unlawful assault on his first child. And it makes you wonder. Yes. But she stayed with makes him. Makes you wonder. But she stayed married well, to him at the time. And that was partly the time, but she was also pregnant. Mm -hmm. It does bring up questions. And, and honestly, she probably was like, you know, because you know how people make excuses for abusers. It right. was probably sort of a, well, get her out of the house. Everything will be okay. He won't do this to my daughters. Right. And then they get to that age and suddenly. And you know, he did die in 1927 when her daughters were becoming teenagers. Mm -hmm. The oldest would have been 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. And the youngest would have been six or seven. And that, I think that so, fits your theory. It's just a theory. There's no way to prove it. Right. And, um, and maybe I am besmirching an honorable man, right. but I think it's very curious, very curious. Yes. I, I'm not I saying, truly, he, and I'm not going with the premise that he deserved to be murdered over it, but it, right. it's more what was motivating her. And you would think right. that first murder gave her that taste. Mm-hmm. And she was probably broken. If there was abuse going on and there was abuse towards her as well, that mm -hmm. uh, could have added to the challenge mm -hmm. she was having. Right. And, you know, you, you know, one should not just randomly murder people. No. <laughs> you know, I mean, you want to see a trial happen, <laughs> you know, perhaps even a jury. That's a good yes. thing. And, and see justice done, you know, um, but I can also see, you know, how it could have happened differently. So, well, especially um, back then, because mm -hmm. women only had had rights for about 20 years at this point. When, mm -hmm. she, well, not even that, five years when mm -hmm. her first husband died. Mm -hmm. And not that many rights, really. No, they had just gotten mm -hmm. the right to vote, which mm -hmm. men were very resistant to. Mm hmm. And it probably would have been very difficult to prove in court if something was happening inside yeah. the family. And her so, parents were both dead. And you know, possibly he could have just kicked them all out and they have nothing. Right. Not that I'm advising people should murder anybody. Oh no. But I, I guess I'm you know, just trying to make sense of this, you know, yeah. and maybe there is no sense. Maybe there but, is but no I sense. I think in 1925 he had full rights to, he might have still had full rights to the children. He could have kicked her out mm -hmm. and yeah. kept them. And if right. there was a situation, she would have been in yep. trouble. Yep. But I think the key phrase here is don't take the law into your own hands. No, that's never a good idea. No. And are the police particularly helpful? That is a matter of perspective. Right. But you still should not murder people. No. Or you know, physically assault people. This will just like, don't do shit that's illegal. <laughs> you know? There's times people might have sympathy and understand, but you're still taking the law into your own hands. And you're still going to end up in front of a judge. Right. Even if, even if people go, the guy just needed killing. Good. You did it. <laughs> you're still going to end up in jail. You're right. going to end up in jail. When, if you take a different route, 
they still get justice done and you're not in jail. Correct. Best case scenario. Well, thank you for joining me again, Zelda. Thanks. This was so much fun. Do we know who we're going to talk about next? No idea, but I'm leaning towards Michael Swango. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Yes. He's kind um, of creepy. Dr. Let's Death do is a, a good name to give him. So, okay. We will... I'm totally in. Oh my gosh. This so, was so much fun. And I think it's fascinating how you can take these little bits of information that you glean from these public records right. and, you know, have this fuller picture of who these people were and, you know, just kind of the whole milieu of the times. Right. As, so, it's fun. But it totally is fun. So Denise, thank you so much for having me on. And um, I look forward to future episodes. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And leave us a good review so more people find us. You can also find us on social media as well as our website, murderousroots.com, where murder and family meet.